Matthew chapter 4, are you there? Starting in verse number 1, here's what the Bible says. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written. If you have your own Bible, will you underline that? But he answered, It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Then Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Somebody say amen to the word of God. Can I tell you that even Jesus himself allowed himself to be ministered to? Angels came to minister to our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that we have what was written, that we get to, we get to understand you, know you, know your character, know who you are, God, by your word, by your written word. Holy Spirit, would you breathe into this time that we're together? Would you, would you show us the value of knowing your word? We trust you with everything that we are. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Like I said earlier, we are going through the, missions and, uh, the mission and the vision and the values of our church. So if you're new to church, this is kind of your introductory as to um, what we're all about. If you are, have been here for a while, it's a good thing to remember because it's really easy after a year, after a few months to forget which direction that, that neighborhood church is going. If you call this place your home, you are a neighborhood church. Not just what resides here on 203 West Basic Road, but if you belong to this church and you call this place your home, you are the church, whether you're in the building or not. So you get to represent the mission and the values of, of who we are as a body. I think it's really important that every year or so, we just kind of go over these. And, and when we go over this, I pray that it's a reminder for how you and I ought to grow and how, and, and how you and I ought to be formed by the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen if you're with me. I'm going to read to you what our mission is, all right? We can put it up on the screen there. Will you read this with me, church? So those far from God will be connected to life in Christ. That's what we do. From the hippie days all the way to today. 
Even beyond, before the hippie days, there was people that were far from God that have now been connected to life in Christ. I don't know the exact number, but many churches have been planted out of neighborhood church. This is a place where people would get saved. This is where the, the believer would find firm footing in the Lord Jesus and then decide to live with him for the rest of their lives. You get to be part of that. All of us do. You and I get to link arms with people that are distant from God and in essence walk them back to Jesus and then make them connect to one another. God is just waiting. He's literally just waiting. The Lord has been waiting. And then once, once you come and once you present yourself and say, Lord, I'm a wreck. I'm turning from my old ways and I'm coming your way. Once you believe that Jesus is the only way, God welcomes you into his kingdom. And when he welcomes you in, into his kingdom, now begins this process of becoming. First you believe and then you become. Most of us never get to the become because we have a lukewarm belief. Because we never link arms with Jesus. Sometimes we link arms with the church. And the church can become an idol over Jesus. The church is just here to build you up, to edify you, to sharpen you so that you can live a life with Jesus. And the church, that's just gravy, baby. That's like, that's the, that's the cherry on top. It's what makes everything on this side of eternity so fun and so great and so fulfilling. But make no mistake, life can only be found in the ministry of Jesus. You need Jesus. So how do we get there? What's the process of becoming? Well, it involves these values. And I got to preach the past two Sundays on the first value, which is we prioritize the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, let, let, me, let me say this. There's no church apart from the Holy Spirit. There is no word apart from the inspiration that the Holy Spirit provided. None. In order for you to function, you need the Holy Spirit. In order for you to go to Walmart, you need the Holy Spirit. In order for you to drive along the strip nowadays with all construction, you need the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Spirit. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my Spirit, says the Lord. You need the Holy Spirit. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to focus on this second value. Value number two is this. We live by the Word of God. We read that in Matthew chapter 4. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. This, I'm going to speak for myself. This is my greatest treasure next to salvation in Jesus on this side of eternity. I love the Word of God. I don't know if you realize this, but 40 different authors contributed to the writing of this book spanning over 1,500 years. 40 different authors over 1,500 years contributed to the writing of this, and you have it here in 2023. And for a lot of people, this just sits on their bookshelf. You have God's word. In it, 
you get to know the character of God. In it, you get to know the plan of salvation that God has. Everything that is in this book can frame the way that you live and can breathe life into the way that you live. But it's up to you to actually open the book. It's actually up to you to, to seek out God. I shared that scripture with you earlier. If you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. I like using my, my physical Bible. I use my digital Bible every now and then. Sometimes when I study, I use it. But I prefer to use my physical Bible just because it puts me in a different space. You know, on your phone is usually when you text everybody and you use the same device to text everybody, to scroll through your social media. Um, God, to me, is worthy of way more than that. And so I choose to sit. I choose to wake up early. I, I grew up, somebody taught me and said, the early bird gets the word. I'm not waiting for anybody's leftovers. Everything that you hear, you know, in essence, what I'm preaching to you today, this is just what I got. This is like ABC gum. I done chewed this already. This has been in me. I'm sharing it with you. But my hope is that you would take this text and anything that I've ever preached and that you would study the scriptures for yourself. That would inspire you to go, I really want to know more about Matthew chapter 4 or wherever we're at. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God has spoken. All the 40 different authors, the Bible describes them as being divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, Paul would tell Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. The Holy Spirit breathed on these words. What was written here was what God had meant to say. It wasn't that, you know, Paul was writing his letters like catatonic and like just kind of, like he wasn't writing like that. What God had put in his heart was what God had meant to be in the canon of Scripture. So when you read this and you go, isn't the Bible, like, isn't there errors? It's 99.5% accurate. And the 0.5% is when you accumulate different scrolls and there's a different the or maybe an and is missing. That's it. That's the 0.5. There's nothing that contradicts one another. We've had... Um, scrolls of, of passage. Even Jesus himself would open this scroll and he would read, the spirit of the Lord God has come upon me, has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He would read that passage out off of a scroll. Jesus had copies of that, of the Old Testament, of the prophets, of the Torah, of the law, of, of, of uh, the Psalms and, and, and the Proverbs and the books of wisdom. He had, all those things were available to them during Jesus' time. But the New Testament is one of the, the most amazing things by far. Archaeology proves that the, the validity of the New Testament, even extra-biblical people. You have a, a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus who bears witness that Jesus did exist. There's a Roman historian by the name of Tacitus who does, in his history, accounts a man by the name of Jesus 
who Jewish people say was crucified and also have said that he had risen again and was resurrected from the dead. These people don't even have any skin in the game, yet they're talking about Jesus. That, to me, makes me want to open the book more. I read things like that and I hear about things like that. Wow, I have this. I have the, the holy scriptures. Every word that God says can change the trajectory of your life. But you have to approach it in the same way. By the same measure you pursue God and the same faith that you put into your reading, the same faith will be given to you. And you will find that the God of the heavens is real. He's for you. He's not against you. He wants more for you than you even want for yourself. Yet here we are. We claim to be so busy that we can't even spend time with God and open the Bible. May we all be convicted. May there be nothing more important than God's words to you and I, him speaking to you and I. I, I think it's a no-brainer to have the word of God as one of our values. If you want to become who God wants you to become, you need to study the word of God. Paul would tell Timothy, study to show yourself approved. When he, when he says that, I can't think of a better scripture to personify that than Matthew chapter 4. Just to give you some context here, the Holy Spirit just rested on Jesus. He was baptized. The, the Father was present because you can discern by his voice, this is my beloved Son in whom I am most pleased. The Son was present, and then the Holy Spirit came down and rested as a dove. You get the picture of the Trinity in Matthew chapter 3. And then almost immediately after he was baptized, you have verse 1 of chapter 4. Then the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Isn't it funny how we read that scripture and we think, why would the Holy Spirit do that? Why would he lead you into the wilderness of all places. Shouldn't he be leading me to the promised land? Before there is a promised land, there's always a wilderness. Before you are even found, there's a period of you being lost. Before you can be connected, that means that there is a prior past to you where you were disconnected before you can be engaged in all the things of the kingdom of God, there was a moment where you were disengaged from the kingdom of God and engaged with the things of this world. Before you can enter into the promises of God, I think a wilderness is actually essential to your growth. You will never grow and you'll never learn as much as you do when you go through trial and tribulation. It's the hard things that cause you to grow. It's the challenging things that cause you to grow. It's the difficult things that cause you to grow. If everything was easy peasy, it would be no value to you. But because you went through the hard thing and now you're still standing here today, that says a lot about the God that you serve. If you knew what I went through just to get to church today, Pastor, yes, I know what it was like. 
I knew what it was like to study when, when kids were crying. I knew what it was like to open my Bible when the kids were still really little. I knew that. And yet, here we are today. I'm still bearing witness to how good God is. All that to say is that you don't need to hide from testing. You don't need to hide from from being proved. I believe that Jesus was brought into, into the wilderness to prove that he is the King of kings and that he is the Lord of lords. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, those first four chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, they're an introduction to Jesus being king. You see the genealogy, you see the baptism, you see the presence of the Trinity, and then you see him being proved that he can fight Satan and win. Let this be, he's not proving it to himself that he can fight Satan and win. He already knew that. He's proving it to you and I, the readers today, the believers today, 2,000-something years later, that he is God. And if you follow his way, you're going to come out just fine. First thing I want you to know is that once you believe, you're marked by the Holy Spirit. And once you're marked by the Holy Spirit, that means you're going to get tested. See, the, the devil doesn't really need to do anything to you if you're already distant from God. But the moment that you are marked by the Holy Spirit, the moment that you believe and you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the free gifts of salvation, now you're, you are now a clean vessel, which means the Holy Spirit can now inhabit and, and take its dwelling place inside of you. Now that all that is taken care of and you are marked and sealed by the Holy Spirit, that's when the enemy goes, whoa, 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 whoa. We need that old man to come back. And he calls his legion of demons. He says, I need you to go mess with this dude. Put some weird things in his social media uh, uh, feed so that he can click on them and then get distracted from, from God. Do it. And they'll do those things. Make sure that there's somebody there can cut him off on the freeway so he acts like the old self. And he's reminded that it feels good to be the old self that loves to embrace pain and anger. That's what happens. You keep wondering, why did I even get saved? Because it's far better to be with God than it is to to reside on the things of this world. This side is way better. And the neat thing about Jesus is that he doesn't just save you to something better. He equips you to be able to fight what is coming against you. And you see that in Matthew chapter 4. You have been marked to be tested. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, they say this. In him, him being Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What does it mean to be sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You ever buy a pair of jeans and on the back it says Levi's on it? Levi's. Maybe Wrangler is your preferred jean of choice. I don't know. But whatever it is, that has been 
sealed. It's got the certificate of genuineness that this was as a product made by Levi Strauss. You, now that you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, you have been marked with a certificate of genuineness that says this is a child of God. And children of God have privileges that children of the world do not. You have been sealed with the promise of the Father who is the Holy Spirit. Sealed for what? For an inheritance that is coming. You've been sealed because you have an inheritance of salvation and you have an inheritance of heaven coming your way. That where he is, there we may be also. That. You are marked now. And because you are marked, now you're a target. I know some people who like to think, like, well, you know what? I'd rather not be a target, so I'm just not going to do anything. Worst place to be. Here's where the, the enemy tries to come your way, is when he sees that you've been marked with the Holy Spirit and then when you choose to live for God. Those two things. When those two things happen, then the enemy is your worth now, the enemy taking out. <laughs> I know some people are like, well, I'm just not going to do anything. Like I said, worst place to be. Worst place to be is distant from God, lukewarm from God, and worthless to the enemy. What kind of life is that? You're distant from God or you're lukewarm to God and you're worthless to the enemy. That is not how it should be. Pick a side. As for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. That's which way we're going. I've been marked. Fine, I've been marked. Bring it. You want to try to take me down? Good luck. It's not going to happen. Me being marked means that I have been empowered, endued with power from on high. Me being marked means that I have gifts in the Spirit. Me being marked means I have fruit that I can bear by the Spirit. Me being marked means that I can walk by the Spirit and I will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Me being marked means that I have victory, that I am an overcomer. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus who loved me and gave himself to me. That's what it means to be marked by the Holy Spirit. Testing is going to come your way, but that's okay. I'm here to tell you, you should not be afraid of being tested. You should not be afraid of being tempted. You should be afraid of being tested if you're lukewarm to God and you're not you're not walking wholeheartedly with the Lord. Then you should be afraid. But here's what I'm going to tell you. It's really as simple as you just going, you know what? I repent, Lord. I'm not going that way anymore. I need you. You are my good shepherd. I'm following you all the days of my life. I want to know what you say, and I'm going to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Things change once you do that. The Bible says that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Why the wilderness? Why couldn't they just tempt him in Galilee? Why did Jesus have to go to the wilderness? 
I think that there's a specific purpose in the Spirit leading him to the wilderness because now what it does, it, it in essence parallels the children of Israel in the wilderness season. Listen to this. Everything, every scripture that Jesus quoted was quoted in Deuteronomy chapter 6 through 8. That's where Jesus quoted from. When did Deuteronomy 6 through 8 happen? It happened when the children of Israel were in the wilderness. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness the same way the children of Israel were tempted in the wilderness. Can we just go back to Egypt? At least they had like carne asada back there. They had all kinds of food. Yes, yeah, some of it wasn't kosher, but at least we got to eat. What's this manna stuff? It parallels the wilderness. Remember, they would follow in the wilderness the cloud by day and the fire by night. And if you look, that's a picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now leads you and I, and in this case, it led Jesus into the wilderness. Jesus was fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights. How many years were they in the wilderness? They were in there for 40 years. The children of Israel were weak and hungry. If all you had to eat was coriander seed, you'd be hungry too. They were weak and hungry. So was Jesus because of his fasting. But here's the neat thing about this. They had to learn how to depend on God. And I think in the wilderness season, if there's any takeaway that you have, you have to learn to depend on God. I need the word of God to frame my day. I need the word of God to frame my moment. The word of God for sure frames my circumstance. I need to know. How do I respond? Should I even respond? How do I proceed from here? You can find that out by knowing the character of God in the word of God. I believe Jesus showed us that you don't have to wander anymore through this world. Jesus shows you the way. Remember, Jesus himself is likened to being the word of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Jesus is the word. And here's the word using the word to fight Satan in the wilderness. Let me show you something else here. And it's Satan's when. When does Satan attack? Yeah, he comes at a time of weakness. Sometimes when you're at the highest of your highs is probably sometimes the weakest you are. And the reason being is when you're in the highest of highs, usually it's really easy to rely on your own strength than it is to rely on the strength of the Lord. Jesus just was endued with power from on high. The Holy Spirit came to rest on him. His dad told him, I'm so proud of you. This is my son. He introduced him to the whole world. This is my beloved son in whom I am most pleased. Filled with the Holy Spirit, high. Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tested. After fasting 40 days, 40 nights, the enemy came when he was weak. 
It's you in your weakness. That's when the enemy comes. But Paul teaches us in the word that you don't have to be afraid of when you're weak. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is what Paul says. He says, but he said to me, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon, him, upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, slander on social media, people poking fun of who I choose to believe in, all those things. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You get two messages there. One from Satan and one from God. Satan says, hey, how you like that thorn in the flesh, Paul? Here you go. God says, that's okay. My grace is enough. You can choose which one you want to believe in. Thorn in the flesh, that was Satan's message to Paul. Grace was God's message to Paul. I want you to write this down. For, here's a good definition for grace. It's God's provision for every need whenever you need it. It's God's provision for every need whenever you need it. When you feel weak, God is there to make you strong. When you feel powerless, God is, make you, is there to make you feel empowered. That is grace at work. Notice that the way God moves, he doesn't substitute. He transforms. He changes you. He doesn't say, I'm going to take away the thorn in the flesh. No, the thorn in the flesh are okay being there because my grace is going to come in there. He doesn't take away the thorn and replace it with grace. He doesn't substitute it. He transforms you. That's fine if it's there. The grace of God overpowers anything in the flesh. He doesn't substitute it. He transforms you. Somebody say amen if you're thankful for that. Which now brings us to the fight. This is, like, uh, this is now like the uh, main event here. This is uh, Floyd Mayweather and... Manny Pacquiao. And here's what the Bible says. Satan came when Jesus was hungry. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God. And then Jesus answered. And he didn't just answer. He answered in a very specific way. He answered by saying, it is written. The word of God is likened to a sword. And if you're taking notes today, if there's anything that you need to write down, write this down. Use your sword. Can I tell you, most of us try to fight things with natural weapons. You cannot fight a spiritual battle using natural weapons. You need to use the sword. 
Not a physical sword, but the sword of the Spirit. Let me read to you Ephesians chapter 6, and I think this will frame things better for you. Starting in verse 10, Ephesians 6, verse 10, we'll put it up on the screen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, all of it. You need to put it all on, every single bit of it. You got to get dressed for battle. You can't just like, well, can I just wear the shoes? I like Nikes. Can I just wear those? No, not just the shoes, all of it. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and then shoes for your feet. Although Nikes are cool and Reeboks are cool and Adidas are cool, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. They ain't just darts. They're, they're flaming darts. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. The words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Use your sword. If you look at every single inventory of your armor, there's only one offensive weapon that you have, and that is the sword. Everything else is for defense. Pick up your sword and use your sword, Christian. You are a man of God and a woman of God. We cannot afford in 2023 to call ourselves Christian yet not know God's word. The verse of the day, one verse, is not enough. Case in point, here's why. Look at what happened. First, first temptation. Hey, Jesus, I know you're hungry. Go ahead. You can turn these stones into Panera. Go ahead. Jesus answered and says, it is written, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And here's what Satan does. Oh, you know the word. Okay. Then here's what he says. Well, since you know the word, let me take you up to the holy city, set you up to the top of the pinnacle. And he says this, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Now he's using the word, and he's challenging him with the word. You may think you know the word, but the, but the enemy knows the word too. So you at least have to know the word better than the enemy does. And if you read that, if you don't know the scriptures, you'll probably look at that and go, I don't see anything wrong with that. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, 
lest you strike your foot against a stone. So yeah, he's quoting scripture. But here's the difference between people that study scripture and people that don't study scripture. Where, let me just tell you, the enemy is studied when it comes to scripture. But he purposely excluded a line or a phrase from that passage just to try to trip Jesus up. And the enemy will often do that to you to try to trip you up. There's so many times where the enemy is beating you up really, really bad, and here you are trying to say, but I'm a child of God. But I'm a child of God. And he keeps beating you up. And you keep wondering, why is this not working? Could it be that you might be quoting things out of context? You might be quoting things that may be wrong. For I know the plans that I have for me. You know the plans that you have for me, Lord. Yeah, that's great. And I've seen people put that on their wallet. Because when I'm broke, you know the plans that you have for me. Forget trying to give and live by your standards of finances. I just, just as long as I got the scripture tattooed on my wallet, that's enough, right? No, it's not. You have to know what that means. That was actually written to people that were in captivity in Babylon. Yeah, they were there for 70 years. And Jesus, God was telling them, after 70 years, then you will call to me. You will come to me and pray to me, and then I will hear you. But we missed the context, and so we keep quoting stuff that we don't even really know. And so the enemy will use that against you. Well, enemy, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Oh, yeah? Okay. Well, isn't it also written that on their hands they will bury you up lest you strike your foot against a stone? Doesn't it also say that he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bury you up lest you strike your foot against a stone? Let me show you where it's off. It is in... Psalm 91, 11 and 12. Put that up on the screen for me. He says this. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. That's what the enemy says. But he left out in all your ways. You know why he left that out? Because if you read that in context, that actually means if you live according to the will of God, then he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. But that's in all your ways, is, is pointing back to those that live in the will of God. Satan's trying to do, let Jesus do his will. He's trying to make Jesus do the will of Satan. And so he skipped that scripture. All this to let you know that you need to know the word better than you think you do. You should study to show yourself approved. You should take a moment to examine and study the scripture. Don't just glance over or wait for me on a Sunday to teach you. Here's what usually happens. The enemy comes at you when I'm not around. The enemy fights you and tries to, to mess, you, mess you up when you're not in church. It's not when you're around believers. It's when you choose to isolate yourself and be by yourself and choose to, to, to I'm just going to, like, I just stop feeling right. Something's off. I just feel weird. And then what do you do? You disconnect from fellowship, which is a thing that can help you. But it doesn't help you when you disconnect. So you disconnect. And now you stay by yourself, and you keep wondering why your life is just 
It's not, I don't know, I'm just, I'm all messed up. You're messed up because you listened to the ploys of the enemy and you pulled out of fellowship. You disfellowshipped. Thought that you could do it on your own. Well, the Bible says, do not forsake the assemblings of yourself. Now the day is drawing near. He's closer now than he was ever before. All the more reason for you and I to gather. All the more reason for you and I to sharpen one another. All the more reason for you and I to stay close to one another. Someone say amen if you believe that. We need one another. We need community. Because when someone quotes something like that and they go, oh, bro, I don't think that that fits the circumstance that you're walking through. This is what that actually means. And guess what? That revelation is correction in love. God disciplines those who he loves. Wouldn't you rather be corrected than think that you're believing something that's been wrong for 25 years or so for all of your existence as a Christian? I always use this analogy, but if you're five degrees off and you're sailing, after 20 years, you're not going to where you think you're going. Five degrees off, that's like Tokyo when you're thinking you're going to go to Paris. It's, it's way off. I don't even know if you can sail to Paris or to Tokyo. <laughs> but whatever. You're way off by the time you think you're going to get to where you're supposed to get. Be up for the challenge. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. So use your sword. Be up for the challenge. Third thing, stop trying to use other weapons. Self-help is no help at all. You need the help of the Holy Spirit. He is my very present help in my time of need. You need God. You don't need self-help. You need the Messiah's help. You need Christ's help. Look at this. Remember, he says, put on the whole armor of God. So you have a helmet of salvation. You have the breastplate of righteousness. You have the belt of truth. You have the shield of faith. You have the shoes of the gospel of peace. You have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The whole armor of God is a picture of Jesus Christ. All of it is. He is my light and he is my salvation. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we may become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You put on the belt of truth. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. You have a shield of faith. He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. You have the shoes of the gospel of peace. When you're fighting, you need the prince of peace in your corner. And then you have one weapon, which is the sword of the spirit, the word of God. You need to be able to equip yourself to fight. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If you look at that in context, Hebrews chapter 4, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, that's, there's a lot of that, and it's repetitive in, in chapter 3 and chapter 4. He's 
quoting, the author of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. If you hear his voice today, man of God, woman of God, do not harden your hearts. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. A natural sword gets dull after, after time. The sword of the Spirit never gets dull. There's things that a natural sword cannot cut through. But can I tell you, one of the things that the sword of the Spirit can do is it can cut to the heart precisely. Remember Acts chapter 2? I think it's verse 37 when, when uh, Peter and John spoke and they were cut to the heart. They heard the words and they were cut to the word of God can cut to your heart. Sometimes when you're ministering to somebody else that may be far from God, you need to minister using the word of God so that they can be cut to the heart. You need that sword to be able to fight. That is by far the most important sword. The physical sword pierces the body, but the sword of the spirit pierces the heart. Let me give you one more passage here. Matthew chapter 4, 10 and 11. Let me, let me read this to you. This is at the very end of the fight. Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. How many times have you ever said that in your life? Satan, go away. Satan deuces. Don't come back. You're not welcome here. He fought him three times and at the last time said, Go away. And you notice Satan went away too. Satan didn't just stand there and go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't do anything like that. He just left. He peaced out. I'm out of here. Fine. You know why? Because the word told him to be gone, and whatever the word says, it never returns void. Sometimes I've been in a position where I've said, be gone, Satan, and I felt like he just laughed at me. And you know why? It's because we missed James 4, 7. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You cannot command the devil to flee, and you cannot have the power to resist if at first you do not submit yourself to God. You need to submit to God. Remember, make the vessel clean. Revelation teaches us, blessed are those who wash their robes. I was joking with my guys today. I feel like that's a, like a scripture that I just keep repeating. It's on repeat. You ever have those songs that are just on repeat? Yeah. That passage in Revelation is on repeat for me. Blessed are those who wash their robes. You need to wash your robes. You need to keep yourself unstained from this world. Jesus has made you clean once and for all. Stop rolling around in the dirt and messing around with the world. Blessed are those who wash their robes. In other words, submit yourself to God. Because when you wash your robes and you keep yourself clean, then what happens is the Holy Spirit can reside in you. He needs a clean place to dwell in. He needs a holy place to dwell in. Tend to the temple. Make sure that you don't allow things into the temple that can pollute the temple. Stop holding on to the things of this world. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you strength to let them go. No anger is going to dwell in this temple. Why? Because I want the Holy Spirit to have a place to dwell. So I'm leaving that behind. I'm leaving all the other junk behind that's, 
that, that my flesh wants to hang on to, Lord, help me so I can purge those things out of my life so I can be a clean and pure vessel for you. Those are the ones that overcome. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb, he washes us as white as snow. And the power of our testimony. When you're able to speak from a clean vessel, bye-bye enemy. He quotes this last passage. Like I said, all these were from Deuteronomy. I think this one's Deuteronomy 6.13. Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Can I tell you, you will know who you worship by what you serve. Let me pray.